everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Behanna, and alongside me, as always, fellow Pensburg writer, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how have you been since last week's episode? Uh, pretty good, Garrett. Um, not much new. Uh, same old, same old. Surviving the snow, surviving the cold. Um, watching the Penguins hockey is good to... Um, and they've been back for a little while now, but good to have them back on a more regular basis. Uh, it's just unfortunate um, this week has so many late games because it's going to be a little tough to uh, keep the old eyeballs open for. But um, no, um, everything's been good on my end. Hope everything's good on your end and on the end of our listeners as well. Absolutely. I, I echo everything you say, Robbie, and I, I do agree with you. I think the the Western uh, the Western um, Western roads road trips going into California and Seattle, and uh, I think it's it's bittersweet for me because you know we we don't get too many late games, too many 10, 10:30 p.m. Eastern starts, but uh, yeah, it's definitely definitely can be a struggle. You know, once you get to 12, 12:30, and you know they're still playing, it can be a little bit of a struggle. But uh, we do have some some positive Penguins news to talk about here. In this week's episode, we'll start, as we always do, with the recap segment. And the first game we are going to talk about is a game between the Pittsburgh Penguins and their most heated, their most hated rival. That is the Philadelphia Flyers. This game took place on January 6th, a game in which the Penguins would win by a score of 6-2. to two. And with this win, the Penguins would uh, move their win streak up to 10 straight games. Uh, Robbie, this game was largely dominated by Brian Rust as Rust registered three points here and he kicked off the scoring as in the first period Brian Rust gets his eighth and ninth goals in the span of a couple of minutes here for his first goal came on the power play with assists coming from Chris Letang and Sidney Crosby and he would get his ninth goal a few moments later with assists coming from Evan Rodriguez and Chris Letang again and all of a sudden, Pittsburgh's out to a 2-0 lead. Jake Gensel was get his 17th goal of the season. Pittsburgh had a 3-0 lead by the end of the first period of play. And quite honestly, Robbie, that was that was the game, hook, line, sinker for the Penguins. Uh, in the second period, Cam Atkinson would get the Flyers on the board at the 8-10 mark of the second period. Pittsburgh still leading by a score of 3-1. However, we go into the third period with Evan Rodriguez getting his 15th tally of the season. Pittsburgh up by a score of 4-1. to one. Jake Gensel would get his 18th goal of the season at the midway point of the third. Pittsburgh up 5-1. to one. Brian Boyle getting a shorthanded goal. That's how you know things are going well for the Penguins and how things aren't going as well for the Philadelphia Flyers when Brian Boyle can get a shorty on you. Pittsburgh leads 6-1 to one at the 11:51 mark of the third period. And Oscar Lindblom would get the second and final goal for the Philadelphia Flyers, his fourth tally of the season at the 13-minute mark of the third period. As I mentioned, Pittsburgh extends their winning streak here, wins this one by a score of 6-2. to two. Uh, Pittsburgh, Robbie, looking at the box score here, shots on goal, Pittsburgh 32, Philadelphia 20. Face-off percentages, uh, Pittsburgh wins 54% of their face-offs. They go one-for-one one on the power play, 15 block shots. Uh, really a complete performance. Uh, contributions from Gensel, Rust, and Rodriguez. 
really, uh, this game, Robbie, showed that the Penguins were still moving along in 10 straight games. A 10-game winning streak is nothing to laugh at, certainly. A massive accomplishment for the Penguins, one of the longest winning streaks in franchise history. So I'll hand it over to you, Robbie. What did you like or maybe dislike from the January 6th game against the Philadelphia Flyers? It's hard to, uh, to say you dislike anything in a victory over the Flyers, especially in a uh, dominating fashion like that. And overall... Uh, there really wasn't much to complain about in that game. It was a, a very clean performance, a very dominating performance, and it really shows uh, the gap in talent between the two Pennsylvania teams right now. And the Flyers, I mean, it was just it was just two years ago that they won the Atlantic, well, or the Metro, and then they got the one seed in the bubble playoffs. Carter Hart looked like he was going to be racking up Vesnas for a long time. And finally, a solution to their decades-long goaltending problem. And all of a sudden, that all has gone right down the toilet. And it's it's gone down very quickly for the Flyers. They had a bad year last year, missing the playoffs. And then the Penguins just, they got the Penguins at the wrong time. And the Penguins came out in that game, and they were hot. The hot guys were scoring. I mean, Brian Boyle was getting shorthanded goals. Brian Rust was on top uh, of his game again. And it just really is was a dominating performance and another two points in the bank against a division rival team. And that's what the Penguins need to do right now. And everything that they did in that game was really just a microcosm of everything that had been working in the nine games before that. And it resulted in another win. And anytime you can get a win against the Flyers, uh, you're gonna you're gonna feel a little bit better about it. So uh, it was nice to get that that double digit win streak. Uh, just unfortunately, it obviously, as we all know, could not keep up. No, it could not, Robbie. All good things must come to an end, and that's exactly what happened on January eighth as the Penguins began a road trip. Uh, this game going up against the Dallas Stars, and things were looking pretty good for the Penguins as Brian Boyle, or excuse me, Brian Dumoulin, gets his second goal of the season at the 6:02 mark of the first period of play. Pittsburgh out to a one-nothing lead. Then, uh, roughly 20 seconds later, Kasperi Kapanen getting his eighth goal of the season, and boom, boom, Robbie, the Penguins are out to a two-nothing lead. Do you think things are going to continue just as they did against the Flyers in their last game? However, we move into the second period, and Denis Gurionov gets the Dallas Stars on the board at the 16:01 mark of the second period of play, his sixth goal of the season. Joe Pavelski now in the third period of play gets his 13th score of the season at the 14:59 mark of the third, and the Dallas Stars have tied the Pittsburgh Penguins. And Rupe Hints would give the Dallas Stars the game winner and put the final nail in the coffin of the Penguins' 10-game winning streak. Rupe Hintz getting his 13th goal of the season at the 16-14 mark of the third period. Pittsburgh could not mount a comeback. And uh, com Rupe Hintz completes the comeback for the Dallas Stars with just 3.46 remaining. Again, uh, the Penguins' 10-game winning streak comes to an end in Dallas. Robbie, I think uh, I didn't catch a lot of this game live, but you know, looking back and watching some of the highlights from this game, I think it can be said that uh, the Penguins, uh, this game was just uh, a little bit of, you know, the Penguins playing so many games and, you know, everything was riding, everything was going so smoothly. Uh, nothing can last forever, as I mentioned before uh, starting the scoring summary here. 
And uh, you knew they were going to lose at some point. It just happened that the Dallas Stars w- would be the team that would uh, complete their own comeback and get the two points from the Penguins. And so you can't you can't be too mad from after a ten game winning streak, seeing it come come to the come come to an end at the hands of a, a Western Conference opponent. But uh, I'll hand it over to you, Robbie. What did you see from the Penguins game against the Dallas Stars on January eighth? I just said literally like five minutes ago that what was working so well in the Flyers game was really a microcosm of the nine games before it. Well, all that stuff they did in those 10 games kind of went down the drain uh, in this game for the Penguins, especially in the third period. And the Penguins under Mike Sullivan do not blow third period leads. I don't remember what the record is, but if the Penguins lead going in the third period, the odds are very, very high that they're winning, and they didn't. And it was sloppy play, mistakes in front of goal, no offense on their part, no super threatening chance. Again, they had lost some players before this game. Uh, Brian Rust is in COVID protocol now, but it's still, yeah, everything just kind of fell apart. And it was, again, when you win 10 games in a row, eventually you're going to regress a little bit. It's just the nature of uh, analytics and statistics. And it just happened to be in this game. And it kind of, when you go back and look at it, it kind of sucks because, oh, this was easily 11 in a row. And then it's easily, oh, they easily should have gotten a point out of that game. And it didn't happen. But you go back and look at that game and everything they did right, the 10 games before that, it almost like it slipped out of their brain in this game. And it came undone uh, for them, especially in that third period, giving up the two late goals uh, to fall. But when you go up two nothing early on the road like that, especially in one of those weird afternoon games, you kind of like to see it closed out. But when you're coming off 10 in a row, it's a little easier to swallow uh, a snoozer. So uh, all in all, um, not a great showing, but Hey, you, you're going to lose at some point, And it just happened to be this day for Dal- or for the Penguins in Dallas. So the Penguins would uh, move on from the Dallas Stars and head to the West Coast with a matchup against the Anaheim Ducks. And Robbie, this game was highlighted really by one thing and one thing only. It was the return, the season debut of one Evgeny Malkin, and we will get to him very shortly here. Uh, This is a game that the Penguins controlled from start to finish uh, as they look to try and maybe get another 10-game win streak under their belt while they got off on the right foot to start another streak here as Jeff Carter gets his 10th goal of the season with 65 seconds into regulation, 65 seconds into the first period of play, and boom, Pittsburgh is out to a one nothing lead. Uh, they would maintain that lead into the first intermission of play. Into the second period now, and everyone was wondering what he would look like. Everyone is wondering what kind of presence he would have. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you Evgeny Malkin came back with a bang, getting his first goal of the season on the power play at the 323 mark of the second period. Pittsburgh out to a 2-0 lead here. However, Jakob Silverberg would get the Anaheim Ducks on the board to make it 2-1 Pittsburgh at the 833 mark of the second period. But Evgeny Malkin said, well, wait a second here. I'm not done. I'm going to keep playing. I haven't played in a long time. My knee feels great. He gets his second goal of the season. 
at the 14-38 mark of the second period of play. Pittsburgh out to a 3-1 to lead over the Ducks, and into the third period, Jeff Carter would get his second goal of the night as well, his 11th of the season at the 17-03 mark of the third period. It was an empty netter, and Evgeny Malkin was on the ice for the hat trick. As a matter of fact, the primary assist on this Jeff Carter empty netter did come from Evgeny Malkin, so Malkin ends the night with three points in his return to the Penguins. Robbie, looking at the uh, scoreline here, Pittsburgh finishes with 34 shots on goal. 66% of their faceoffs are one. They go one for three on the power play. And uh, as I mentioned, Robbie, this game was dominated. Uh, the headlines, at least, were dominated by the return of Evgeny Malkin. This was a very complete performance. Like I mentioned, they controlled the game, really, I thought, from start to finish. So I'll hand it over to you. What did you like from the Penguins from this January 11th matchup against the Anaheim Ducks? Uh, it's really too bad that Evgeny Malkin returned to the lineup and ruined all that uh, good chemistry that the Penguins had built over the course <laughs> of the season. Um, no, nah, uh, all kidding aside, uh, again, another game where it's tough to find many negatives. Yeah, They gave up the one goal. Um, I believe they've outscored Anaheim. They almost had two shutouts against them this year. Um, back in December, they got uh, the one shutout. And now uh, in this game, though, the Penguins were more in control this time around. But, I mean, I think the big story here, and you mentioned it, Garrett, was Evgeny Malkin. How can it not be Evgeny Malkin? Uh, we waited um, how long? however long. I mean, they he would have missed more games if they wouldn't have had that uh, cancellations and postponements back before Christmas and right after Christmas. So uh, maybe that in, in turn helped uh, the Penguins in the long run because they're going to have Evgeny Malkin for hopefully cross fingers, knock on wood over half the season now. And that is obviously huge because as, I mean, I know he's, he's not 28 anymore, 27, 28, and he's, probably past the peak of Evgeny Malkin's powers, but he showed on on uh, on Tuesday night just how good Evgeny Malkin still can be. And the patented ripper on the power play, which featured Sidney Crosby, uh, the big leap in the screen in front of uh, Anthony Stellart, uh, and then the beautiful deflection on the, on the second goal later in that second period. So, I mean, it's – you can't really complain. I mean, you can't complain – about Malkin, that's kind of one of the game you hope he gets out there, maybe gets 15 minutes of ice time, and you just see some flashes. Well, he, he's been, he's definitely been building up something because all that time off, uh, he he's proved that he's still very valuable to this Penguins team. And uh, we talked last week about trades the Penguins might need to make to fill some holes. Well, there's a pretty big hole filled uh, with 71 back in the lineup. And the Penguins are deep, and he just makes them that much better. So seeing him back on the ice, seeing him happy, seeing him in in a Penguins uniform and producing like we know he can, uh, let's just hope that keeps up because, man, adding somebody like that back to your lineup, everybody's going to try to make a trade, but nobody can just uh, bring a future Hall of Famer off the IR and just plug them right back in that lineup uh, to make them that much better. You mentioned it last week, Robbie, uh, when we had we had a mailbag question talking about potential trade targets, and uh, you said you were going to kind of cheat, and and you said the biggest acquisition the Penguins could make 
uh, to bolster their team would be a healthy Evgeny Malkin. And while 60 minutes, a 60-minute hockey game against the Anaheim Ducks isn't a whole lot to go off of, we do know, based on prior history, the kind of player Evgeny Malkin is. He says his knee feels 200% better. Well, if we're going to get these kinds of games from Evgeny Malkin for the next couple of months as we gear gear up towards a potential postseason run, uh, that might might very well be the biggest acquisition the Penguins can make is getting a healthy Evgeny Malkin on that second line. And that is kind of going to segue into our main topic this week. Uh, last week, you, you brought up, you know, we, we talked about potential trade targets and w- with the imminent return of Malkin going back to last week's episode. Uh, as we fast forward seven days up to now, I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts. Uh, last week, I, I told you and I told the listeners that this, there was the first time in a long time where I kind of I had that spark watching this Penguins team, thinking, uh, you know, thinking about all the crazy fun times we had back in 2015, 2015-16 and 2016-17, the back-to-back Stanley Cup runs. Um, so, Robbie, I think that the big question, uh, or at least I want what I want to get your thoughts on this week is, do you think that this is the deepest Penguins team in terms of overall forward defense and goalie depth since the back-to-back cup wins of 2016 and 2017? Uh, you know, there's been a lot of chatter recently about uh, coming from Brian Burke that the Penguins, you know, their philosophy of trading away too many first-round picks in the name of winning championships and Bobby Clark making headlines coming out of Philadelphia and Bobby Clark saying that uh, Ron Hextall's job as general manager in Philadelphia was was not up to snuff, and he was very critical of Hextall's time in Philadelphia. So, Robbie, my big question to you this week is, do you think that this is the deepest team since the Stanley Cup runs of uh, 2016 and 17? And what do you think the biggest weakness is, now that Evgeny Malkin is back and slotted into that second line, do you see them having a massive weakness that could be addressed via trade? I know last week we talked about the backup goalie situation. You know, you, uh, the, the the common common thought process is you can never have too much defensive depth heading into a postseason run. Uh, or, Robbie, I'll even throw this out here. Would you even make a trade that potentially involves giving up your first-round pick if you do believe that this is the deepest Penguins team that you've seen since the Stanley Cup winning years of 2015 or 2016 and 2017. So after all of that, Robbie, I'll hand it over to you and you can kind of give us your thoughts on what you think about when you look at the depth of this Penguins team as we inch closer to the trade deadline and potentially the postseason. I think not that the defense, not that I'm saying the defense is problematic or anything, but there's definitely maybe some depth issues on the on the defensive side that you maybe want to look into if somebody goes down. Obviously, losing a guy like Latang would be detrimental just because he's Chris Latang. Uh, Forward-wise, man, even the guys are calling up or producing, so it's really hard to hate what they have at forward depth now, especially when everybody's healthy, uh, hope, which hopefully at some point uh, will be will be soon. Uh, but defensively, yeah, maybe you look at adding a body there just in case – just for some reserves, because there's not much defensive depth in the farm system. You have Yusa Ricola is probably your best option. Pierre-Olivier Joseph, which um, is an option as well, but there's still maybe some veteran depth you want there. 
And then obviously the goaltend, the backup goaltending situation anyway, um, I still think will be addressed at some point by um, Hextall and Burke. Uh, here is the trade deadline inches closer and the playoffs inch closer and stuff like that. So that's all in play. It just, I don't think there's any true, true glaring weakness on this team. And that's a very good thing to say. And there's not many teams in the NHL that can probably say that, that, that they have no huge glaring black holes in their in their lineup and and how they approach what we're kind of targeting as what may be a weakness uh, we'll find out here in the next couple of weeks I don't know exactly when the trade deadline is I don't know if it's been reshuffled because of how the schedule is uh, they haven't again announced uh, makeup days or anything yet so uh, we'll see all that but I think overall the defensive depth and the backup goaltending are probably the two places where if you're going to look to make a move, those are probably at the very top of your list. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, Robbie. Uh, I think like I mentioned before I hand the microphone over to you, defensive depth and backup goaltending would be uh, my biggest causes for concern. However, I will say if backup goaltender and defensive depth are your biggest causes for concern heading into the trade deadline, I think you're doing pretty well for for yourself as an organization. Uh, so, you know, we know what the Penguins Lions are going to be roughly projected when everybody is healthy. I do think they have a great amount of forward depth. Uh, assuming everyone stays healthy, that is also uh, another big key cog in this equation, is making sure all of your key impact players do stay healthy uh, for a potentially uh, long postseason run. So, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, defensive depth and potentially, if you're not satisfied with Casey DeSmith's play, uh, maybe shuffling that uh, backup goaltender position around. And I think we'll get to that in the mailbag uh, segment here as we switch over to the mailbag segment now. Um, if you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener and you are interested and want to participate in this mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pensburg podcast Twitter account. Every week we'll send out a mailbag question asking for your participation in this mailbag segment. And boy, I sent out the tweet earlier this week, Robbie, we have six questions for uh, the mailbag segment. So let's dive right into it. As always, Robbie, you will get question number one and question number one comes from longtime listener and mailbag participant Cole Del Vecchio. And he wants to know, do you put any stock into Bobby Clark's comments about Ron Hextall, or do you think this is simply just knifing a guy who was no longer with the Philadelphia Flyers organization? Uh, my takeaway from it was the meme, old man yells at cloud. Um, because if you go back and look, I mean, Nolan Patrick, I mean, it's easy to stay um, – it's easy to say, oh, we should take Kel McCarr. I mean, Kel McCarr is going to be um, one of those guys that's probably going to win a couple Norris trophies. He's probably going to win the Norris Trophy uh, this year. Um, he's going to be the front runner. He's going to score almost 30 goals or something like that. So it's easy to look at that and say, oh, we should have drafted him. But the thing is, Nolan Patrick was a highly rated prospect, and Nolan Patrick's not a bad hockey player. It just sometimes it doesn't work out. I mean, that's just how it is. I mean, I, there's a much longer list of guys who didn't high draft picks who didn't make it than the guys who did make it. Uh, that's just the nature of the sport, the nature of sports in general. Uh, so it just felt like a lot of sour grapes. Uh, 
maybe Bobby Clark is mad because Ron Hextall now works for uh, the biggest rival in the Penguins, uh, and he and he was pretty much a flyer for uh, the most um, uh, significant portions of his career. So maybe it's just a um, a bitterness that um, he has that he carries with him. So I don't take too much stock in it. It is what it is. Um, he just has to get over it. Uh, question number two comes from Brian. Am I crazy? Am, wait, am I crazy kind of seeing Erod as a duper type, meaning Pascal Dupuy, just as a super utility guy that can play anywhere in the lineup? No, Brian, I agree. I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, Pascal Dupuy, well, when he was here, he was uh, lauded for his versatility. And even, you know, even when he ended up finding his more permanent place alongside Sidney Crosby on that top line, uh, there are some parallels I guess you could make between Evan Rodriguez and Pascal Dupuis, even taking away that they both wear the number nine sweater. Uh, you know, looking at Dupuis' career, career trajectory, uh, he spent a, a large chunk of his early career with the Minnesota Wild, then bounced around. He played six games for the New York Rangers, then the Atlanta Thrashers before being traded to the Pittsburgh Penguins in uh, 2007, 2008, and obviously went on to have the the best success of his career, finding his footing alongside Sidney Crosby and forming that chemistry. But and you look at a guy like Rodriguez, who uh, had prior connections playing with Jack Eichel before being uh, selected by the Buffalo Sabres as an undrafted free agent in 2015-16. Uh, that chemistry with Eichel really didn't translate to the NHL level. But you look at Rodriguez's game now, and he's kind of become a bit of a late bloomer that I know a lot of people called Pascal Dupuis and Chris Kunitz uh, during their times in Pittsburgh because they were so successful in the top six alongside Sidney Crosby primarily. Uh, they called those players late bloomers as well. And you could potentially be seeing a bit of that late bloomer kind of player in Rodriguez. I mean, he's having a career year this year, 30 points and 35 games played. Uh you know, is it a one-hit wonder? Is it a one-year wonder? That remains to be seen. You know, we'll see where Rodriguez's game takes him through the end of this season. And uh, he is an unrestricted, I believe he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. Uh, so we'll see if the Penguins like what they have in Rodriguez. They certainly could find a way to re-sign him or he could fetch quite a hefty penny on the open market for his play in Pittsburgh this season. But yeah, I do see Rodriguez's ability to play all three positions, play up and down the lineup, and he could very well be rewarded for his great play this season with the Penguins. Question number three also comes from Brian. Uh, I saw this as a fun one, so I wanted to get your guys' thoughts. Uh, he wants to know, what if the Penguins had drafted Jonathan Taves instead of Jordan Stahl in the 2006 NHL draft? Oh, um, I, again, is it, I don't know if he's still here or not. It's Jonathan Taves. I don't I think, think he is. No, I don't I, think he is, Robbie. Because is he going to be in the same situation as Stahl? And Stahl, the, like, I don't disagree with Stahl's stance that he wanted a bigger role. He didn't want to be a third line tenor his entire career. And the Penguins offered to pay him a lot of money to do that. And he just decided that, um, he he, did, he wanted a bigger role, and I can't blame him for that. And I think Taves would have been in the same situation. Playing with Malkin and uh, and Crosby is 
is is great, but you're always going to be in that shadow because as good as Jonathan Tavis was during the peak of his career, he was never close to the production of a Crosby or a Malkin. And, and in fairness, neither was Jordan Stahl. So I don't blame Stahl for ever wanting out. But at the same time, I don't think uh, Taves – it would have been the same kind of situation that they would – he never would have been fully happy or fulfilled in Pittsburgh, and he would have wanted out uh, at some point in the future anyway. So uh, does much change? Probably not. And it's really hard uh, to kind of go back and look because Stahl was so important to what the Penguins did in that 3 Cup run that I don't know if Jonathan Taves necessarily brings that to the Penguins. Um, so, uh, from that standpoint, um, I don't, I don't think either, like, obviously Stahl's not here. I don't think Taves is still here, uh, in 2022 as we're talking. I, it, and it's, uh, just one of those things that, um, uh, it's unfortunate that Stahl couldn't still be here and Taves wouldn't still be here, but I don't, I wouldn't have blamed either one of them for wanting to go off for, a bigger role, a bigger face of the franchise uh, type situation. Now you have Taves, who is obviously the captain in Chicago, and Stahl, who eventually, I mean, he's been in Carolina since he left Pittsburgh. One um, has been very successful there, is now a captain there. So I don't blame Stahl um, at all. And if they would have drafted Taves, I think you'd have a very similar situation. A question from number four comes from Tony Nikunin. Uh, is a key trade target, um, and then in parentheses has Halak, I mean Yaroslav Halak, uh, that has a bit of a weird contract bonus clause. Uh, name other potential targets. Would it be realistic in any way to to wait to make moves on other positions? Uh, cheers from Finland. And then um, he gave a little link to the contract thing here that I'm looking at. Um, but uh, this is your question uh, anyway, so I'll let you um, take it, uh, Garrett. Yeah, uh, so Yaroslav Halak is currently a member of the Vancouver Canucks, and Robbie, we've talked about the backup goaltender position for quite a while here as being one of the, the weaker spots in the Penguins lineup. And uh, so the article that I found in, in looking at Halak's contract, he signed a one-year deal with uh, Jim Benning before Benning was relieved of his duties with the Vancouver Canucks. He signed a one-year deal in free agency that included both a full no-movement clause and a potential performance bonus. And the stipulation was that if Halak had played in at least 10 regular season games, the Canucks will have to pay out an additional $1.25 million to their backup goaltender. Uh, and looking at Halak's statistics as we record this, he has played in eight games so far. He's started seven of them with a 1-4-2 and two record. Uh, so he hasn't hit that 10-game mark uh, that would trigger his bonus, but he hasn't, he hasn't played in a contest since December 30th. Uh, since December 30th against the Los Angeles Kings. So uh, I don't pay too much attention to what's going on there up in Vancouver. I'd imagine that uh, unless Hullock is not injured, I'd imagine that they, he would hit that performance bonus. Uh, I'd imagine he'd hit that relatively soon, possibly by the end of January, depending on how frequently he is played. 
but yeah, I agree with Tony. He has a weird, a very weird clause in his contract that it looks like he's going to hit and whether the Canucks depends on if they want to play him or not. Maybe they trade him before hitting that 10 game mark and another team has to pay him that performance bonus in his contract. And may that be the Penguins? You know, we have to wait and see. Other potential targets, uh, uh, looking at the trade block here, uh, you know, it's still early on. I'm, I don't know the trade deadline date off the top of my head, but Anton Kudobin, uh, goaltender for the Dallas Stars, he could possibly be for sale. Uh, uh, I'm looking, uh, most of these players are veteran defensemen. Jonas Corposalo with the Columbus Blue Jackets. I don't know how how crazy the Blue Jackets would be with trading Corposalo to a divisional rival and the Penguins. Um, you know, a lot of these players do have pretty hefty cap hits. Of course, there's always the potential for a Marc-Andre Fleury reunion. I don't think the Blackhawks are going anywhere this year. How the Penguins would make the salary cap work with Marc-Andre Fleury's large contract, uh, that's a question we have posed multiple times on the podcast since then. Uh, but the trade the trade block and the trade deadline are going to change rapidly over the next couple of weeks as we, uh, as we get closer to it. So uh, would it be realistic to wait on other moves for other positions? Yeah, I think it would be. And in the Penguins, for the Penguins, you know, we brought it up earlier, even in this episode of the podcast, uh, they don't have too many glaring holes that would make me concerned for a longer postseason run. So with Hextall being that more cerebral, slower general manager that kind of waits things out and, and tries to make a more calculated move a la Jeff Carter, uh, you know, it might be beneficial for Hextall and company to wait things out and see if other dominoes fall before the Penguins make their moves. Question number five comes from Uncut Gambit Gems. As currently constructed, where would you rank the defenseman core when compared to those of the Carolina Hurricanes, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Maple Leafs, the Colorado Avalanche, the Golden Knights, or the Capitals? Do you see the Penguins, as, do you see this defense core as capable enough to lead the Penguins to a Stanley Cup, or is a bigger move needed? I'm going to answer that second question first there about are they capable of leading the Penguins to um, a Stanley Cup? And I just want to remind everyone that the Penguins in 2017 coming off a of Stanley Cup won another one without Chris Letang, Ron Hainsey taking top pairing minutes and Justin Schultz being a very key contributor and getting like two or three goals from the defense in the entire playoff run or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but um are they capable, um, healthy? Yeah, because the Pen I've watched the Penguins win a Stanley Cup with a lot worse on the blue line. Um, a big move needed. I don't think they're making a big move. I don't think they're making any big moves unless unless there'd be just some deal they couldn't absolutely could not refuse for like a legitimate top player that would just send them over the edge. I don't see a major move happening. I see a more of a uh, Carter type move, uh, as you mentioned, but. Uh, can this team win? Or can this defensive unit win them a Stanley Cup? Uh, yeah, because I think they all really play well together. There isn't a glaring, glaring weakness. Uh, sometimes Mike Matheson can be a little interesting on the blue line. And again, they all have their hiccups from time to time. But Brian Dumlin's really recovered and playing really well. Um, John Marino it got over that sophomore slump and is playing well. He plays so good with Marcus Pedersen. And Pedersen, he doesn't, he's never going to be the offensive guy. He does so much stuff uh, 
on the uh, in his own zone and stuff you just don't notice. It doesn't show up in the box score that he's just so valuable. I'm so glad they didn't trade him, and I feel silly for being on the uh, the trade Pedersen bandwagon last year, but. I'm really glad that I'm not the one running the team and making those calls because what a great move holding on, uh, holding on to, uh, to him. And overall, um, where do they rank among the other teams? I mean, those teams you list there—the Hurricanes, Lightning, Leafs, Avalanche, Gold Knights, and Capitals—and those are all teams that are going to be there. and They're going to have to beat maybe all four, four. They have to be four of those teams to win a Stanley Cup this year. Um, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a very hard battle. All those teams have very good defenses. Um, the Lightning, I mean, Sergeyev and Hedman alone uh, are just so, so good. The Leafs, and the Leafs have a solid defense. I, the Penguins might be a little bit better there. The Avalanche with the likes of uh, McCarr, I mean, he, if you just, just, if you get a chance, watch him any chance you get. As good as McKinnon, and he's, McKinnon is to watch. McCarr might, McCarr's a different level. That dude's special. The Golden Knights, again, good. Capitals, Carlson. Capitals maybe have one of the weaker ones on that list. Uh, and then the Hurricanes. The Hurricanes are just, they're, they kind of feel like a Penguins kind of team to me where there's no glaring hole. Maybe some small stuff here or there. They have to patch up, but the Hurricanes are, uh, Hurricanes are legit. Uh, so, uh, where do they rank? I think they're a very good defense. Whether they rank, where they rank amongst the league, I don't know exactly. We know they can kill penalties, uh, and they, they can. Pre- they're starting to produce a little more offense now, uh, so that's a good sign. And absolutely, they can lead them to a cup because the Penguins. I've watched them win a cup uh, recently with uh, with much worse than what's current. What they're currently putting on the ice every night. And last but not least, comes our sixth question comes from Jason. Uh, should the Pens trade Brian Rust? Um, the short answer would be no. Uh, they should not trade Brian Rust because they're probably going to need Rust and his contributions. Uh, if, if things are going and playing out the way that they look like they're going to play out, looks like the Penguins are going to be in the thick of it for a postseason run, and they're definitely going to need those top six contributions. Only if the Penguins were to miraculously implode and fall so far out of the standings that they wouldn't be in postseason play would they have to trade Brian Rust. I mean, right now, through 15 games this season, Rust has nine goals and 11 assists for 20 20 points. He's a plus seven. He has three power play goals, six power play points, uh, one game winner to his name. Shooting at an 18.4 shooting percentage, which is a bit higher than his career percentage of 13.1. So, uh, will that come down? You know, he's currently in COVID protocol, so we'll have to see when he gets healthier and back out on the ice. But uh, no, the, the Penguins aren't going to trade Brian Rust only unless that they implode. Like I said, uh, if they implode and they find themselves out of the playoff positioning by the trade deadline. Being that he is an unrestricted free agent at season's end, then you figure out what you can get for Rust. But uh, no, in the short term, he is firmly entrenched in that top six and likely firmly entrenched on that top line with Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel, unless uh, injury strikes and then we'll have to shuffle the lineup once again. But Robbie, that will do it for this episode of the Pensburg podcast, a nice long mailbag, a nice question talking about the Penguins' depth and their potential postseason opportunities with the return of Evgeny Malkin. 
for Robbie Noggle, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pensburg Podcast, and we will talk to you guys next week. Yeah.